you could have skipped the whole last half hour of yak, yak, yak and gone right into the vagina thing. that somehow only recently realized that the Sunday New York Times opinion section is filled with half-sincerely held beliefs and half-straight-faced and darkly satirical pieces, and that the game is to try to figure out which is which. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah. Here we are. Lori's here, too. How are you doing, Lori? I'm good. She's good. She's old. <laughs> Today is April 11th. It's a Monday, oh. 2022, the day after Lori's birthday. Look at that. The day before my brother Christopher's birthday. We're in that sweet spot. In the midst of just a six weeks or so in my family where every other day is somebody else's birthday. No kidding. Happy birthday, Lori. There's a lot of birthdays this month. You're right. At least Thank people you. that I know. Yep. Like two million every day. So, is that the average? I think so. Wow, it's a lot. Uh, let's see. We didn't record last week. No. Took the took the week off. Uh, we ruined one of our listeners, Corey. Corey at Corey Talker is his handle over on the Twitter machine. He said that he started his week. Excited about just another optimistic and excited about another wonderful week in the world. And then he got to Friday and realized that it was a terrible week because there had been no new episode of Cast Iron Brains. Corey is just delightful. He is. He's so delightful that he, uh, I would say probably nine out of ten of our episodes since he started listening, he does an obnoxious recap of the episode in as unfavorable a light <laughs> as to the, the positions taken yeah, therein. so delightful. Uh, on his Twitter that he tweets out to his followers. Uh, his legion, absolute legion of followers. It's uh, at Corey Talker. If you want to check that out, sorry, Corey, but it was spring break, and Bob, Bob needed a break yes. from his life. How dare you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had the kids at home. We had adventures to do. I think Monday. You we, went to the zoo on Monday. We did the the didn't do anything Tuesday. The Richmond the Richmond Metro Zoo, which has got. Outside, out in front of it, it's got this like ropes course where the kids can strap in to this elaborate harness get up and go traipsing through the treetops strapped to, you know, like safety lines or what have you. And then at the end of the ropes course, there's a long zip line that they get to do. So we did that Monday morning and then walked into the zoo. Zoo is always kind of a bummer place for me. I always feel bad for the animals. Oh, you know, I'm going to likely now at this point hit 40 years of age without having gone to a zoo. Not for any moral reasons. I don't just, believe you because I believe happened. you've been and you don't remember. It's, I, I fully do not believe you've never been to a zoo. Only 
because I know that he if lives you went, like he lives walking know. walking distance or certainly biking distance. <laughs> oh yeah, to like one of the world's finest aquariums and right. has never bothered to never go down to there. I think he's been. I don't believe him. So. Laura, you're right in the fact that my memory is not good enough for me to rely on, so I have asked around. And uh, so far, none of my siblings have been able to confirm whether I've actually ever been. So I'm sticking to the I've never actually been. I mean, I've seen yeah. animals before, but not in this uh, setting. I've seen animals before. My yeah. favorite exhibit at the, the Richmond Zoo, they have this golden lab who's in a, an enclosure with a fucking cheetah. So they have a, a domestic dog, like a like a, a Labrador, a golden Labrador retriever, who just looks like any old dog that you see in the neighborhood, except that he's in this zoo enclosure, not even particularly large, because it's, you know, like I said, depressing, the, the, these tiny little areas they stick these wild beasts in, and a fucking cheetah, like, you know, one of nature's great cat predators, and this this domestic dog and they're just pals and they just like run around playing all day long. Did they grow it's up crazy. together or something? What's going I don't know, on? That was like, and that was, it was disappointing. Cause I, I didn't like, you'd expect you'd see some interesting information on the wall right. out in front of the exhibit or something explaining or justifying. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. How these things are together. But instead it's just like, here's this Labrador retriever. No, you're the weird one. If and you here, think that's weird. That's this you being cheetah. judgmental. Right, what are they doing? They're trying to, are they trying to teach me a lesson about yes. like how we should all just get along and <laughs> I shouldn't prejudge be. those sorts of relationships. What's weird. Nothing. You're weird. Anyway, we did that on Monday and I was too tired by the end of Monday to sit down and complain about the world. And then the rest of the week was also full of kid-centric adventuring. So that's what we did instead. You know what I did, though, do is because I considered, since we were taking the week off, I thought about going deep into the Bob and Abe archive. Oh. And bringing back an episode from... Season one. Stop it. (laughs) From the olden days. Yeah, which... By the way, I only like I know I say at the top of the show that the date, so it's 2022. It should not surprise me that 2022 and 2009 are in fact way far apart. Yes, right. Because <laughs> like, like, and then in my head when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, you know, I'll go back and get an episode from 10 years ago or so. But that's not even remotely nope. close. It's like the episode that I found is like 13 and a half years old. Yeah. And I was going to put it up because I wanted to find the the story of Abe. I think is what we called it. it was the it was the episodes like fifteen episodes in to our initial run where we just told your story the the, the autobiography of Abe as he traipsed around the planet with his as I believe what what, what I said was with your uh, the Black Von Trapp crew this this ten person yes. gigantic <laughs> family and that was. That was easily the least offensive characterization of you <laughs> and your family that we went through in that in that hour of of show. But I listened to that and then ended up deciding not to post it because it aside from like the it must be said there are some like we say some anachronistic things that just we would not say today. Right. I think all three of us ultimately simply would not say a lot of the things that we said uh during that hour. Do you think 
That's true. Not least of which, not least of which, by the way, is you explaining the various immigration crimes oh, of your family, right. <laughs> which I'm not sure you necessarily oh, want yeah. that there. That's right. I'm sure the statute of limitations has passed. Well, like my biggest takeaway from the episode is that if if you first at first you don't succeed, try again the next day, and maybe it'll be fine. Right. Although it would be interesting. It, how different the stories are because it's all based on my recollection, which is exactly not that's reliable. why we have to right. do it again. Sex we, no, we don't have to do it again. We need to do it by interviewing someone else in his family. Yes. No, I want to know what he remembers. <laughs> It'd be funny. Fifteen years later how? from his life and see what tracks. It's like so we were in Japan. You see, it's like what? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I wasn't. What you consider you you were you were baptized as Greek Orthodox Christian in the first yeah. in the first version of. This story in the second one you were raised by samurais uh, <laughs> but you know when, i believe the plural is just samurai like no, it's, oh sorry. It, okay but you know you said that listening to something from 13 years ago there's a few things that we said that maybe don't don't play as well these days do you ever think like we're saying things now that in 2035 won't play well but i can't tell like i don't know what i'm saying now that's yeah. Right. When you're in the moment. As we've said in the last few weeks alone, like it's hard to imagine that the conversation around the trans issue is going to evolve in the same way that the conversation around gay rights has evolved in the last 20 years, right? right? But like who knows? Maybe right. in 2035 we will be deeply offended at the way that we were talking even here now about that particular oh, subject. Actually, that's, that's a good point. Maybe I should reconsider. I was going to send you a like a blog uh, thingy about not letting uh, trans women compete in competitive sports. That yeah, probably would not play I've well. been waiting for that, Abe. <laughs> when, when is that coming? It's, it'll come. <laughs> as, I said, as I said before, glad it's your byline. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, Lori does call you retarded twice in the first like 90 <laughs> seconds of the recording. Everyone called everyone yes. retarded back then. It Andre, was a term of up. endearment. Uh, you were being kind of retarded, though, to be fair <laughs> to, to Lori. <laughs> I'll take her word for it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was going to run that. It, aside, Like I said, aside from the fact that it, it feels a little bit like that's not what's stopping me from posting it. What is stopping me from posting it is that it feels like weirdly self-indulgent, even by, like, again, a vanity self-published podcast that we have that we we've had on and off now since 2009 it's weird for me to be worried about feeling (laughs) self-indulgent uh considering what the the project is itself anyway but yeah it just felt it feels a little bit weird well also you have a real problem with admitting anything you've done in the past is any good like you don't ever look back on something and go oh yeah that's good yeah they're always like no this is awful i need to redo it (laughs) start all over it's like six things that i've written and i'm like yeah that holds up that's good that's Everything it. else is just <laughs> trash. It'd be too much uh, work editing-wise, but one day you should uh, stitch together a confidently wrong episode where we're just saying things like from the past, and it's just clear to the listener now how yeah, wrong well, it is. Abe, I'll just go back and I'll just take out everything I've ever said and just run your side of the conversation. <laughs> how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> That's something that did strike me about listening to the 2009 version is how much – more aggressively, I'm ripping on you all the oh, time. Yeah? I, it's not nice. I don't feel bad about it, obviously. But it's it's the dynamic was obvi- was much more like you know, this Bob asshole here, and it's obvious that I'm doing a thing right. too, right? Like, and I think maybe you'd be more 
along those lines, that's where like in person. Sometimes like just being, you're just trying yeah, to hear we somebody. Were more in, we were in person instead back of then. interacting with somebody. Yeah. Although what you're saying is opposite of what seems to be true about the entire internet. Apparently, That's people true. are way worse <laughs> yes. the more degrees away they are. Yeah. So scratch that. That's retarded. That's right. I also, I also sounded. It's apparently you can hear fat because I sound just way fatter. You don't just think listening to the voice. Your brain is doing that. The math. I don't know. I think I you could think give it. You were fat in two thousand nine. In two thousand nine, I had I hadn't lost any weight yet. Oh, that was when you were fat. Yes. <laughs> yes, he was fat. Two thousand nine. It's like, Not that there's anything wrong with being fat. Oh yeah, don't want to. Certainly don't want to suggest that there's oh, anything wrong with the, being fat. You were that. Yeah, because I quit smoking in 2008, and immediately yeah. at the end of 2008, I quit smoking, and I was already like 230, and I like immediately put on 15 pounds in the in the six weeks or so that followed that. Just to kind of and off, that, it's a thing. It's like a known thing. If you that's stop a thing. Smoking. Yeah, I stopped yeah. smoking and like, uh, I guess I need some snacks or something. I see. Like, <laughs> well, that and uh, the cigarettes, is it the nicotine? I think it's the nicotine. It might be the tobacco. Speeds up your metabolism. Oh, okay. So by not having It's also that, supposed to be an appetite suppressant okay. or something. Like a light, a light yeah. appetite suppressant. I see. Ah, smoking, not all bad. Exactly. Yeah. I- That's the takeaway. <laughs> anyway, it was also, sadly, it was the last episode that Gillig was ever on. And it's... Aww. It, or not that he was ever on, Wasn't but the he, last episode that he was, because he, he left town, he left, he, he left the state, he moved to Connecticut. Oh, okay. To he, go become a scientist, he went on and he's since gotten his PhD. It only took him fucking like thirteen years after he that's left how long Georgia they take. Right, takes to finish while. his PhD. It was great. He Good was you, on Mark. more recently with a a remote thing with a, wasn't he like a resident expert yeah, on last this year. thing? Yeah, yeah, he did before the vaccines came out. He came on and. Did the show? He texted me today to say he wanted me to uh, restart the poker group that I'd started back when the oh, you know, a couple it, years ago when the pandemic started. Uh, but basically, he said, "Let's just talk about politics and current events." But nobody's going to agree to getting together just to do that, so we'll call it a poker game. Which is so dumb because all that says is that you're a bunch of dudes. Because girls would totally agree to that, yeah. like hundred percent. Let's meet every other Wednesday. To I just said to him, chat. "Yeah, it sounds like he just wants to be on the podcast. And if he wants to be on the podcast, then he's welcome to join. <laughs> of course, uh, whenever he asks." That's so not what I would gather from that. I think he just wants to have chats. Yeah, sure. He wants to fucking hang out and be friends. It just sucks. It's hard to hang out and be friends. It's not. We do it once a week with Abe. Exactly. Yeah, but we have a reason for it. We have this stupid self-published vanity project that we call a podcast. (laughs) No, you have that. I would be happy to just chit-chat with Abe every Monday night. Wouldn't that be weird, though? If we just got together on this thing and just hung out and bitched about the world without without recording it. That's like the. But that that's you interesting because a reality show or something. If any flimsy pretext would do, like you know, poker is just hey, just a, a an activity, but really you're just kind of hanging out. Yeah, I don't know. There's no meaning to modern life anymore unless you are simultaneously producing content. That's right. I think is. Uh, I feel like that's what just I'm, dudes. What I'm getting at. Yeah. Anywho, like I said, no show last week, but here we are this week with more show. Way to sell it. You're welcome, Corey. Yeah. And if there's a vast public outcry for the story of Abe and Abe tells me that it is, in fact, okay, then I will I will publish <laughs> that, that episode. 
like I said at the, like I intimated at the top, I was reading the Sunday paper this Sunday, sitting on my couch. And I don't know, I've been listening, I've been uh, reading the news less, I think it's safe to say, the past few weeks, focused more on uh, new music. I've listened to, there's a new Red Hot Chili Peppers record that came out, which is wonderful. It's not that good. They have new music? Yeah. No kidding. They're back together. John John Frusciante, the heart and soul of the band. Or I, I can't call John Frusciante the heart and soul of the band. But he is one of four pieces of the band that the band is simply not the same without. And he has, he has rejoined the band after an extended absence since I think he he left in 2007. They made two albums without him, and now he's back once again. And there's just something about the four of those dudes, John, Anthony, Flea, and drummer Chad Smith, making music together that it just, it talks to me. I don't have a better explanation for it than that. Anthony Kiedis has written hundreds and hundreds of songs through the years, and maybe half of them seem like he put any effort into whatsoever. But when he's trying and when he's when he's on his game... It's not that he's profound. It's not that he's some artistic genius or something, but something about the way that his lyrics are in conversation with John's guitar, with Flea's bass, and then the, the the whole rhythm section. It all just fucking works for me. In other words, I am a fan of that band. Right. And when they're all together and making music together, it just speaks directly to what it is that I love about music. And my kids fucking love it too. It works out. So I've been listening to that a lot. There's a new Jack White record, my... My very brief review of the solo Jack White record is that Jack White continues on a one-man mission to insist that that rock and roll is not dead. And uh, he made a terrific rock and roll record that he just put out last Friday. So that's what I've been listening to. A little bit less news reading. So I pick up the Sunday paper. Before you and, uh, go to that, just real quick, for, for some reason I thought when you – open the spiel about the music, it, you were listening to new music and not like established acts with new music, but like new artists. And I'm like, well, oh, no, I'm not listening okay. to new artists. Okay. No, we're very old. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're too old for new, no new friends, yeah. no new, no, no. no. I, I'd be interested to see who you were listening to. If it was like some. Oh, no, I can't <laughs> Kendrick listen. Kendrick Lamar is who he's listening to. What the fuck are you talking about? Even, even saying Kendrick Lamar, I mean, the To Pimp a Butterfly came out in like 2016 or something, Everything right? Is, like yeah. that's that's ancient already. Right. So, okay. and I listened to that record like a dozen times or something. That was a fun record. I liked it, but like I can't pretend like I it was life changing right. because I listened to it when I was fucking 35. Right. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a different experience. I've and been I, listening to the new Dropkick Murphys album from last right. year. Okay. You know. <laughs> They're 55. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's the, fine. The Chili Peppers, three of them, they're 60. This band yeah. is as old as I am. They they formed in 1983. Anthony and Flea first got together playing music as the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're fucking ancient. Right. But that speaks to the, like, even though whomever you said uh, said rock and roll is not dying, but basically it is dying, right? Because there's no new person taking that so spot. So they're... There, there will be when the children of our generation who have been listening to good music. Oh, I see. We've we've been we've right. been here on this show right. in this room before. Okay, music has 
been awful because the people playing music for the youths have been playing awful music for them. I see. So now that the kids, the not sh- our particular kids, right. but our kids' generation will have grown up on Chili Peppers and all of the good music, oh. they'll make good okay. music that is more reminiscent. It'll be fine. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm sure it all it all moves in cycles or what have you. But I don't think that and this is a this is not a conversation I intended to have, so I haven't put any thought into it. But I don't think that music will ever have its place in the culture that it once did. And and the conver- and I think we've I've actually cut this conversation. What Lori is talking about, I'm pretty sure I've cut like twenty to thirty minute segments of us talking about. Because you this. don't know what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, it's not that we don't know what we're talking about. It's no, like you it just don't feels. Know what you're talking. About. How dare you? It feels. Like something that is ephemeral and and there's it's hard to put your finger on and so anytime I listen back to us talking about it, it's like ah it's bullshit and I can I, and I can take twenty minutes out and the show is twenty minutes shorter and it's better for everyone. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that music has lost its stature in the culture in important ways. I don't think because it and this does it, it goes it speaks directly to my take about how the most famous and the most popular artists of today are not making meaningfully important music in the way that they were a generation ago. And not not just in ter- not important in terms of like some sort of objectively ob- objective conversation about quality and whether or not it's any good or whether or not it's interesting, but just in terms of the impact that it has culturally. Like Drake as a cultural icon has a much bigger impact as a personality, as a content creator right. than he does with any one of his fucking songs. Right. Of which like and granted, I'm not in that I don't listen to top forty radio, so I don't know, but like I couldn't name any Drake songs. Right. And if I heard a if I heard a dozen songs and you told me three of them were Drake, I doubt that I could figure out which ones were Drake and which ones weren't. And and I'm sure that other people certainly could do a better job of that. But if you play me 12 songs and three of them are Michael Jackson, I fucking know which of those three songs were Michael Jackson songs. And I I don't know that music will ever regain, like the, even the most popular people, the, the Beyonce's, she just doesn't put out songs that have that sort of right. culturally dominating impact the way that she, even she did in 1997 or whenever the first Destiny's album, right. uh, but the, Destiny's Child album and, dropped. And I'm pretty sure I made the same point in one of the things that you cut, but like that's more of a product of back then there were fewer outlets. So like MTV had all of the – so that, that's where you went to listen to music. And back in the day, if you wanted to listen to music, you would listen to your – Radio, you know, there's like a rock station, 99X or something, and a hip hop station, and MTV and VH1, and that basically that's about it. And then whatever CDs you have. But now there's like a million different ways to listen to music, and so like no one act has that kind of dominating presence. And so, if a Michael Jackson was around now, would they have the same impact as they did when everybody was kind of funneled in to watch it a certain way and listen to it a certain way? I think it, it's a combination of both. I think music was different then, but also the format made it so. Yeah, I don't know. I think that if Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson were making Thriller now, it would still be an absolute classic. There would there would still be half a dozen Pantheon songs to come out of that collaboration that go down in history forever and that everybody fucking knows. Right, but I'm not and sure I, if it would I, sell as, much, as many album sales. I don't know if the Eagles could do the same when they're – Greatest hits or whatever. Uh, <laughs> fuck the Eagles, man. I don't no, know if the Eagles could do num- it. What I'm saying, did they have like 
a, a, a street a stretch where they had the highest grossing album for for a few years. Yeah, they sold like fucking forty million right. copies of that. But greatest like those hits numbers, record. if yeah. you look at those numbers, like for like Eagles or Michael Jackson or whatever, Whitney Houston, all those people, I'm not sure if you can. It's kind of like the, you know, Cheers and 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 Mash drew a certain number, like. The best show now. I don't know, or I don't know the best, but fractured. It's the same thing like, as always. Like Yellowstone or whatever. I don't. I haven't watched this, mm-hmm. but apparently that draws well. But I don't know shit about it, right? Because it's on a different streaming app, and it's just everything's just kind of like disjointed now. It's probably yeah. Everybody yeah, but I think that to an extent, I think television did in fact help take the place of music in the cultural conversation. That that. Even though we have this fractured landscape, like Thrones became the dominant right. part of the cultural conversation for a couple of years right. there. Breaking Bad, even though it only generated – I forget what the numbers were, but it was it was never a huge yeah, show. It wasn't it was like some, Game of Thrones I think the, numbers. The yeah. most watched episode of Breaking Bad at any, when it premiered was like 15 million people or something. Like, And that's a huge number for basic cable right. today. But like it, it doesn't even come close to a – a, a good Sunday night football matchup, right? right? Definitely. Like, uh, but nor does it come close to a best-selling album or whatever you want to call it. Way less people watched whatever episode of Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad you were talking about than bought Thriller. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is that, yeah, sure. It's the that's, opposite of what you're saying. No, no, what I'm saying is that TV hung on a little bit longer than music did as something that we could all still talk about. And even if it was a show that only 15 million people was Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, it was still something that it felt like you could talk about and everybody would know what you were talking about. And yeah, it was still all going away until what did take the place of it, perhaps, was the culture war, was was the unending ability of everyone to sort into the two warring tribal factions and then sort everything that they encounter into uh, the good side of that or the bad side of that and then and then fight about it. And music music does not neatly fall into, with the exception of artists getting me tooed or whatever, right. of, of that sort of thing. It doesn't usually fall neatly into uh, one side or other of the culture war. And therefore, I guess maybe that's part of what has made it less part of the national conversation. I don't know. Anyway, New Chili Peppers record is very good. It takes half a dozen or so listens to figure that out. I, I will admit that much. There being a disclaimer that they haven't done anything you don't like and they have, don't have the ability to make music you don't like. When these four guys are together, it is difficult for them to do a bad job, yes, in my opinion. But I also think that that's... I think that that there's a certain magic that happens when the when the certain right people are in a room together making music, and I think that, that those are four dudes who managed to accomplish that. And also, the new Jack White record is very good. If you want to go listen to that, they both get the CIB seal of approval, as in Bob likes them. <laughs> hip dip dip, hip dip dip, hip dip dip. Anyway. dip, 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 dip. Open up the New York Times Sunday Review section. I'm only a little bit kidding about the, are we being trolled? Is this some sort of April Fool's thing where like half of the stories are fake and half of them are real and the goal is to figure out which of these takes uh, are sincere or and which are, are bogus? For example, there was a piece that said we need to save baseball by nationalizing it, written by a conservative writer. What? And I was like, wait a second. What, what are we talking about here? Saving from what? what? <laughs> save it from obscurity and obsolescence, basically. Save, save it from 
And the, the, the argument of the, of the piece is actually, and I, again, anything that we talk about here, I will try to stick a, a link in the show notes. Granted, I know a lot of you don't, a lot of you, whatever. Not everybody has a login to the New York Times, so you can't read them all, but you weren't going to read them anyway. But the, the baseball piece basically says, states some true facts about the economics of baseball, which is that baseball has been living very high on the ho- off the hog of cable rights agreements right. for the last generation or so. What you have is your Comcasts or your Cox Communications, right. your uh, Charter. Your charters, your Verizons, and your AT&Ts, anybody who provides cable in your area is basically required to carry regional sports networks and ESPN. And, and you know, Valley. you go flipping through your cable package, and there are going to be between six and ten different sports channels on there. And uh, that is an extremely uh, sort of silly analogy. It's sort of a socialist system for how you carry uh, all of these channels that not everybody wants to watch, right? So only a certain percentage of the population wants to watch sports, but they almost only want to watch sports right. when they're that part of the population. But everybody has to pay the full freight of carrying those channels on your uh, local cable service. So some, as the the piece points out, there are a bunch of fucking oblivious grandparents who don't give a shit about sports and just want to watch the Antiques Roadshow and Anderson Cooper have to also pay the nine bucks a month as part of their cable package to the lo- the regional sports network, which then turns around and pays a big pile of money for the rights to right. broadcast baseball games. And that is a cash cow that is likely and and definitely going to die in the in the coming years. And the popularity of the sport will not justify the exorbitant salaries and valuations of these clubs when it turns out that only like a, a nationally broadcast game on ESPN only pulls one and a half million people on a Sunday night, which is a tiny, tiny number, right? right. But it's not volumes business. There are just so many games, right? And by the time it ramps up to the World Series... It rivals that of the NBA ratings. I don't know why. I, I guess I don't understand why people when the always— the games start mattering. Right, but the way that I see it is because I still see these ridiculous contracts these baseball players are commanding, right? The ratings for the final games are pretty good. I mean, you have a, so many games, so any one game could be like 800,000 viewers or 1.5 million or something like that. But enough of those games add up, and it seems like the business is doing okay. Like, I don't— Right. So, but that's a national number. If you're talking about a regional sports network, like a a Braves game on Bally's isn't going to pull a million people. Right. Like, and that, and that's a, that's a regional team that we're not talking about like the Pittsburgh Pirates who like nobody or the Baltimore Orioles, which is like a dreadful team this year that might win 60 games if they're lucky and has a payroll of like $30 million or something compared to some other teams that have payrolls approaching like, you know, in excess of $200 million. Right. I mean, we're talking about a few hundred thousand people who might watch these games. And by watch these games, I mean tune in at some point during the broadcast to see what's happening. Right. Anyway, the point is, is that these clubs are incredibly overvalued based on the amount of attention and eyeballs that they draw. 
And they've been propped up by a system that allows these cable rights agreements. Like, and the, the Braves are a good example of a team that actually had a shitty cable rights agreement for a long time. And it prevented them because they made their cable rights agreement just before the big boom in cable rights agreements happened. Right. And so they were getting a relatively paltry deal from uh, the Fox Sports people, which has since turned into the Bally Sports people. But anyway, the point of the piece is that that's all going to be going away shortly. And that it would be a good idea. And again, I can't tell if it's sincere or not. It might be a satirical. It sounds piece. ridiculous because how? Okay, well, I guess you'll explain. It. How would nationalizing it solve anything? I mean, as he points out in the piece, it would reduce. It it would acknowledge the fact that there's a limited audience for this sort of thing, but it may, it remains an important piece of American cultural history. He suggests either the Library of Congress take control or the National Parks Service take control in an ideal situation. <laughs> okay, I see what you're getting at because this is definitely just some sort of made-up thing. Like, it doesn't make any sense because, like, you would think if there's going to be a market correction whenever, like, and I don't even know if YouTube TV even, I don't think I have it in my basic package, like, any of the Bally right so you have you you have YouTube TV we have YouTube TV YouTube TV does not have a deal with Bally sports right. so there are like and there are like 30 of these Bally sports regional networks or something right. like that and YouTube doesn't have any of them so in, and and it's nuts because in order to watch Braves games as somebody in Atlanta you have to pick and choose your cable provider based on right if you're yeah based on what you want to watch and and like fine but as somebody who subscribes to MLB TV I can only watch 130 of the 162 games or so because, like, the, the Braves play the Washington team uh, 20 times a year. And any time that they're playing a, a, a Washington or Baltimore team, it's blacked out in my area as if it is within the realm of possibility for me to get in my car <laughs> and go watch this game that's playing two and a half or three and a half hours away if it's in Washington or Baltimore, right. which is fucking ridiculous. Or as if I have to... Because I'm not subscribed to my local cable package, that I can't watch the games, which is bogus because I do subscribe to my local cable package. It's just that the YouTube TV doesn't have a deal with that particular regional sports network, so I can't watch the fucking games. Right. So the, Success. the beginning of the end is already happening then, right? I mean, YouTube TV is not Comcast yet, but like if it's starting where a cable provider like YouTube TV – says, fuck it, we just won't deal with it. And they probably haven't really lost a lot of viewers based on that alone. I mean, there's other things where they kind of jack up the prices and maybe that will get people to leave because it's starting to become expensive. But I don't think right. people are leaving because there's no baseball in it. Right, well, I've considered, and, and Lori would never let me do it, but I would love to, like, at the end of football season, basically, cancel the YouTube TV subscription right. for a few months. Because, like, there's no, there's, Actually, we watch almost nothing. I, like, I, I go to it out of habit right. and scroll through the whole fucking list and get Skips to the. everything good. He doesn't pick anything good to watch. I cannot. I, that's the thing. When she says good, she's talking about, like, 90s movies that are, that are there. And, like, I'm not going to watch 90s movies on commercial television <laughs> where I have to watch four and a half minutes of TNT commercials in between bleeped moments of Goodfellas or whatever. Right. Like, it's just not worth it to me. Actually. And that's doable, right? There's there no – you can come in and go – Until you want to watch the news or the Oscars. Right, but you can come and go as you wish. Like, So if, Bob, if you implemented this – so like middle of February, whenever the NFL is done until, what, August? 
September. Uh, baseball is the problem. Uh, yeah, but, right, but YouTube TV didn't need have to it subs- I don't need to subscribe to YouTube TV to watch baseball games because I pay MLB sure. for that anyway. Yeah, but – or you could just pay for the cable. Right. That's, that's what Lori always have, defaults like, uh, to. So I can pay anytime, $100 anytime to we only have this... watch baseball or I can pay $100 to watch – among other things, baseball. That's true, yeah. Like, so baseball, why would I pick the baseball, just baseball? Right, except that the baseball thing is $130 or something for the whole season, and YouTube TV is like 65 bucks a month all year long in perpetuity forever. Right. And it's it's just like we just we get so little out of it, and I could watch – like I have a digital antenna. I could watch the news shows. Like if I just park my ass in front of the television at 9 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, I can catch all of the news shows that I need to catch. And by the way, I don't think I'll play clips this week, but I watched the three major ones, ABC, CBS, and NBC this weekend. They were all the exact same show in a way that they're usually not. Oh, uh, And granted, like the national conversation is what the national conversation is. So to an extent, these shows often are sort of repeating a lot of what the other ones are doing. Especially if it's a big – if it's like a big news story, then it will kind of mirror each other. Like sometimes they'll have – Right, but this weekend in particular, it was like opening segment was a report about what's happening in Ukraine by one of their international correspondents probably over there, Right. Right. Leading out of that segment was an interview with a Ukrainian higher-up of some form or fashion. Right. CBS had the big coup where they got they, – they showed a clip of their interview with Zelensky himself from, from the 60 Minutes interview that aired later that night. The other ones talked to like foreign ministers sure. or ambassadors okay. or whatever. And then the, an outro of that with the Ukrainian official into Jake Sullivan – the uh, national security advisor. Right. All three of them did the exact same thing. <laughs> and Sullivan had the exact same conversation with three different uh, network news anchors. Right. But, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't mean that we're being programmed right. or whatever. Also, like the, the, way that- the, the number of people who watch all three Sunday talk shows probably are like Bob and maybe some other guy. Right? And I will sometimes watch it. but I'll Some other <laughs> guy who happens to be looking at me through the computer screen right now, yes. Because I usually just watch yeah. one, and, and then you would mention something on the other show, and then I would kind of alternate, and then eventually I started watching all of them, and uh, I've paired back now. I'll, I'll alternate now. Yeah, I had gotten to the point where I was watching five, and I, I've, I've paired it back to... Yeah, you have the uh, cable, you know, state of the whatever and the Fox News. Yeah, I was watching Tapper on State of the Union and I was watching well, uh, Chris Wallace, Chris Wallace on Fox. Oh, yeah, who's, and then, and then, who's a new person? Is it Bear? I don't know if they've, picked, if they've picked someone. I thought that they were still rotating okay. without having picked anybody. But, but Wallace went to CNN Plus. Speaking of which, neither here nor there. Can you imagine... And I don't know what the cost is. I don't know if there's some introductory offers or whatever. Can you imagine paying five dollars yeah, a month to stream CNN content? <laughs> and like, I know that everything is a subscription now. Like, I I, I listened to an article from the Atlantic today. That there's a big piece by uh, Jonathan Haidt, which has got a great clickbaity sort of title. Which is something like uh, the last ten years have been fucking stupid. What is it? It says. The title is Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. It's like, okay, I'll read that. Uh, <laughs> I'll spend one of my one of my four free articles of the month on, on that one. I got you. But the, there's a button at the top to listen to the article instead. So you click that. But if you want to download it and listen to it while you're walking the fucking dog without using your data, they say go download the app. So I, I download the app and it's like, 
if you want access to this and hundreds of other uh, professionally read news articles, it's just $5 a month. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, just $5 a month. <laughs> it's like, so you want me at The Atlantic to pay five, like 50 or $60 a year for full access to The Atlantic. And then on top of that, if you want to be able to listen to the articles, pay another fucking $5 a month. It's like, how many of these fucking things can we because, possibly do for $5 so CNN a month? CNN Plus exists. Fox Nation already exists. Does MSNBC have a thing? Like MSNBC Plus I don't or something? think so. Okay. CBS has the – CBS, Paramount, I think, right? has rolled all of their news networks into the Paramount right. thing. Like They're not doing a separate CBS News right. subscription service. Although, I will say, if Strassman was given his own show <laughs> – like if 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 the Strasser had an hour once a week on on Paramount Plus, that might convince me. <laughs> Certainly more than whatever the new Star Trek series is that they're always, whatever the next new piece yeah. of Star Trek IP is. Anyway, we're losing the, the thread here. It's uh, a good thread to lose. It's fine. New York Times sucks. That's the thread. Yeah, I didn't have the heart to read the big David Brooks piece in the middle of the section. About how the culture wars have gone global, because I think that's a piece of his that I've read seven right. times in the last ten years or so. Anyway, uh, I don't hate the idea of saving baseball by nationalizing it, by the way, because I, I think that... Go ahead. I mean, as silly of an idea as it is, baseball is in trouble in the in the, in the the midterm, like in the, in the, not the short term, but the in the next 10 to 15 years as these cable rights agreements expire. I mean, it's largely now a niche sort of interest and the, the benefits of it, the socially distributed yeah. uh, revenue model where they collect all of this money from people who don't actually pay any attention to the sport. Right. Those benefits accrue to like the worst people in society, whether it's piece of shit billionaire owners on uh, from like, you know, very old families or like the Braves model where it's a former hotel porn conglomerate. Uh, right. <laughs> Liberty Media. Uh, these are not the necessarily sort of people that we want benefiting from uh, widely distributed uh, revenue generation. So why not just have it accrue to uh, the public good, right? Nationalize the teams, make them owned by the by the by the people. On that same page of the New York Times this Sunday was a an explanation from inside Shanghai's extreme COVID lockdown, which somehow didn't garner a single mention anywhere on three hours of Sunday morning news programming, which I don't know why it surprises me, I guess. But like to me, it's one of the biggest stories in the world that there's a city with 25 million people in it that has been on like insane lockdown for the last 17 right. days. What? Maybe my experience is different, but... It took at least three or four times coming across this story before I was like, oh, maybe it's true. Because it just read like, oh, this is like some concocted, <laughs> made up like thing. I don't know to what purpose, but like, oh, you know how for a while they're like, look, it's like a prison state that Australia. Look what they're making those people do. And then you look into it and it's not like exactly how it was presented. So I thought it was kind of like right. that. But then you see more and more like video footage of it and like actual reporters tweeting about like how there's like a drone. I don't know if, again, I still can't tell what's real and what's not with this uh, story, but there was like a drone telling people, all right, enough of, you know, like uh, uh, resist your soul's temptation at freedom or something, like settle down, you know, and stay right. stay put. Even though the, apparently when they make these uh, lockdowns, there's no like advance notice, right? So it's like if you don't got shit at home as far as food goes, then you're kind of stuck, 
until they say it's okay. Yeah, and this the piece in the Times was actually fairly tame, but I'm going to read one paragraph from it. Right now in Shanghai, the just-completed half-city lockdown of Pudong is being extended in various ways. If your building has a case, the entire building will be locked down for 14 days. If your apartment complex has a case, you are locked down in your apartment for seven days, followed by a seven-day quarantine within your complex gates. If your sub-district has a case, you are locked within your complex grounds for seven days. If your sub-district has no cases, you are free to move around. In all cases, the person who tested positive for the coronavirus is taken away to central quarantine and they are taping doors yeah. shut in the the lighter version of the lockdown they're just using paper tape over doors so that in the morning uh so when, like the, when you would go away with band right to a hotel. So, that's right you no go hanky panky in the eighth grade mr wilde would he, he said that he didn't sleep for two and a half days because Mr. Wild uh, just stayed up and roamed the hotel wow. hallways to make sure that none of the kids were were uh, leaving the, the hotel room after lights out at 930. behind you. Yeah, because you can't – once the tape is broken, you need a buddy to tape back right. over behind you, right? Anyway, apparently they're doing that. They're like taping over doors, and if your tape is broken in the morning, then the authorities fucking fuck yeah. you up or what have you. And in and in the more serious versions of that, they're chaining people right. in their fucking apartments. Which we think is a fire hazard, right? I mean – Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> This is a COVID zero <laughs> policy, not a death by fire zero <laughs> policy, Abe. You, you're confused. I, my, I have a client who was in China in January of 2020. She did not have good things to say. Yeah. Like... Yeah, but Just, this is a city of 25 million. This is like a lot of people. China's most technologically advanced, like, you know, like the, the, uh, one of China's jewel cities. Uh, and they're, they're just locking 25 million people up in their apartments for two weeks in, in pursuit of a goal that is, A, completely unachievable. And it's not clear why it should be achieved in the right. first place. Like, just why not instead, like, you know, fork over a ton of money to Moderna and Pfizer instead of your bullshit Sinovac vaccine right. uh, and, and get a vaccine that actually fucking works. And instead they have like half the population, uh, half the elderly population over there hasn't been vaccinated at all. Never mind the fact that the ones that have been are vaccinated with, uh, with the shitty Chinese version of the vaccine that doesn't even work very well. Shitty vaccine. <laughs> I can't imagine that this is a sustainable way to go about it because like you say – I mean, there's a lot of people for this virus to go through in China because they've been trying this zero COVID approach. And is this going to continue to be this? Like, you know, they'll think they'll have it, you know, sorted out in a few weeks and, you know, and whomever dies in the the apartments, whatever. Uh, But in a month, some other town or another city is going to experience the same thing and they're going to do the clamping down and it'll just go on and on and on. It, It seems like Either you vaccinate enough people or you let it burn through. Well, don't let it, but it will burn through enough people to where I'll stabilize a bit. And neither of those things are happening because they're, I guess their vaccine isn't as effective uh, and they have a fuck ton of people. And so like this strategy seems like you're just prolonging this thing. And I don't know, at some point, somebody is going to have to say this is not working. Well, and there's a there's a quote, and I, I've seen it half a dozen times today, so I don't know where to attribute it. But there's a quote from some Chinese Party communist official, uh, Communist Party Chinese official, who says, 
if we stop now with the mitigation efforts, then it will be as though all of the mitigation efforts up to this point were for nothing. And that's like, like it doesn't have to be that way. Like it, I know that that's what you, you've decided, but it doesn't have to be the case that just because you stop doing mitigation efforts now, it means that nothing up to this point was worth it. Anyway, some of the videos coming out of Shanghai are fucking nuts, including people like jumping out of buildings and who knows why. Like you, it's just, oh, I did not see that. There, there's video footage of this, and you watch this. Yeah, no, it's not a okay. fire. Uh, possibly it was a domestic situation that was exacerbated by locking these people into a room together. So who knows? Sort of like the Ukraine situation. It's like the. Somebody has created these conditions for bad shit to happen, and so bad shit is yes. going to happen. And none of it compares to what's happening in Ukraine from a purely like humanitarian, horrifying point of view. But you know, people are starving, or apparently don't they don't have any fucking food in their apartments right. that they're locked inside of. And that's the thing: there's no advance notice. And since it's 2022, we see atrocities in Ukraine and and people getting kept prisoner basically at their own home you see that in real time almost because people have phones and internet and you can't keep that stuff away this kind of shit must have been happening forever right and no one would know about it because it happened somewhere else but now it's like you wake up to you know wake up in the morning it's like oh look at that so a bunch of people died this over is there. A, so th- that's an interesting way of phrasing it because i have also noticed in a disturbing way i don't know if it's an inability to feel the right thing when watching what's happening in Ukraine. But there's something about the immediacy of it. The fact that it's all right there in front of your face all the fucking time. It's hard to, it's, it, maybe it's just Stalin's old. I don't even know if he actually said it or not, that, that one death is a tragedy, but 10,000 is a statistic or whatever. Uh, But that, I think that's attributed to Stalin. I doubt that it's something that he actually said. And I don't know if it's some version of that playing out in the fact that I'm reading about it in the, in the supercomputer in my pocket or I'm seeing endless footage of it on, on television. But there's something I feel disconnected. There's, there's, there's a way in which I feel disconnected from the fucking horror of it that's happening. And I recognize intellectually that it's a fucking awful tragedy. But I, I for whatever reason, and maybe I'm just, again, as I am wont to do on the podcast, uh, revealing my own sociopathy and psychopathy. Uh, but but it, isn't it a healthy response? I don't know if it's mumbo-jumbo that I, that, that, that I learned from one of those sociology classes that I took back at, at Georgia. But don't they say, like, after beyond a certain number, humans yeah. can't – you couldn't function if yeah, you, like, you can't. process everything that happens, like, in a personal way, right? Like, you can't possibly do that. Like, if somebody in your family or a close friend, something happened – that's bad. But if like a tree fell on like a thousand people in Peru, it's like, oh, that sucks for them. But like you can't be you, – you couldn't function if you process that information in Peru the same way you would in your personal Right, I life. know. But and like so, if, like, I I, if like, I'm watching – so I'm still able to like – so I watched a video today of a – and who knows like – and that's like part – and I think part of it is like you have to have a wall of cynicism about – whether or not the thing that you're seeing is actually real and true, right? Like there, there's an element of yes. how much of this can I believe? There's an element of suspension of critical faculty 
that you have to engage in if you're going to be impacted by these images in a humanitarian way. Like, and I, I recognize yeah. that I have an instinct for, for being so skeptical of the thing that is right in front of my face, at least initially, that I don't want to invest all of the emotional weight into, into believing it necessarily, right? right. Now, right. but by that same token, like if I'm watching a video of a, of a grief-stricken mother identifying the remains of her 10-year-old son at the bottom of some fucking rubble pile in some video that auto-played on my fucking phone today as I'm scrolling through Twitter. Like, yeah. like yeah. I, that has an, that has a, still has the ability to like impact me on a, on a gut emotional level. Right. Uh, but if I'm watching a CBS news report that shows 15 dead bodies just in the streets of Mariupol or whatever, that doesn't impact me in the same way. And I wonder, because I was, I let Calvin sit in the room, you know, nine-year-old kid sitting in the room watching the news. Made him, made him sit in the room. I didn't make him, but I allowed him oh. to sit in the room while the news was on. I didn't force him to watch it. He was sitting there watching it, and I did not dismiss him from the room as I normally would. And I don't know to what extent him watching that if it's if it's not having a visceral impact on him, if he does not have the correct emotional response to it, then am I in fact doing the wrong thing by exposing him to something that is an atrocity? But if the remove doesn't allow him right. to experience it as an atrocity, then is all that I'm doing desensitizing him to it in a, in a way that's not healthy? And I don't know. I don't know what the awesome. line is. I don't know what yeah. the balance is. I do know that after the report was over, I talked, like I briefly talked to them about what they had just seen. And he seemed sort of stricken by it in a way that I thought was appropriate. I'm not trying to damage him in any way, right? But right. I, want, I, I want him to be aware of, of the goings-on in the world if for no other reason than for in, in the momentary day-to-day of his life, it gives him a little bit of perspective that, that maybe shit's not all too bad for him. Do you think that that would be the takeaway? I mean, if you're like nine, could you process that information? When I was young, I mean, I, I never really paid attention to the news. I just waited until it was over so I can watch whatever show that I wanted to. It was just some. It's very removed, but I don't think of, there was a, a broadcast where they were showing bodies like on the streets or like shallow graves. Also, your life and our son's life are a little bit different, right? <laughs> but my experience of it, like I was very, despite the uh, story of Abe, I was very sheltered in my head. Like I didn't think anything bad happened. I mean, I still don't the, think. I that. believe the phrase that you used to describe yourself over and over again was like exceptionally naive. Yes, mm-hmm. and so like none of that stuff really pierced through to me so and 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 so like everything was always like oh this is fine everything is nothing bad happens to people despite like other evidence that i would see you did think that arabs and jews were like bff yeah (laughs) i did not know that well partly i think it's a language problem because in in arabic jews are known as one thing and as one there's like a word for it and in like Somalia, it's like another word. And I thought there were like different people. Bo- was- both are both are of course the word for the devil in their respective <laughs> languages. <laughs> Just never made the connection. <laughs> but yeah, like what when I was younger, anyway, I don't know if I would be able to like understand like oh war crime. What the hell is that? You know, like I don't know if I would be able to kind of piece that together at that yeah. age. Well, but he's so I think that he's about the right age for it. He's been reading these historical fiction graphic novels uh, that deal with 
just massive amounts of death. Like he read a World War II graphic novel where they talk about tens and tens of millions of people who were killed. Like, and who knows what the impact is? He seemed to take it in and understand it, at least to an extent. And I think the same can be said for, for what he saw on television this weekend. I mean, I yelled at Katie because she was being an awful brat, like when all this started. And I actually said, I hate to do this to you, but do you know what's going on in Europe right now? <laughs> and, and she does. And I said, yeah. here's what happens. You and me and Calvin start walking and we say, bye, daddy. Yeah. And we probably never see him again. Maybe our house right. will still be there when we get back. So uh, were maybe. you upset about not having enough chocolate chips in your fucking cookie? <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. And there, did that work? There's definitely, well, no, of course it doesn't really work. Like there's a, it's the old thing about the starving children in Africa, she right? She hasn't been, yeah. she hasn't done that thing since. Sure. It did work. We, but, well, it helps that we both reinforced how shitty that behavior was. I mean, she's like, literally she was upset because her brother's cookie had more chocolate chips in it than hers did, which is like a level of complaining about your perfect lot in life that I think even a seven-year-old can recognize is, is kind she of absurd. Knew. She got it. But I don't know. I don't know. I think that there is, maybe I'm just projecting. Maybe I'm worried that my own desensitiz desensitization to it will somehow translate to him being desensitized uh to it i don't think you have to worry about calvin being desensitized he's a very sensitive little boy yeah also you're very sensitive too you just uh don't know how to use words to express feelings instead you just walk around cranky for a while until something else bothers you yeah what about hey have you i mean i don't know what level of emotional impact you think it's important to have when watching the fucking news and i don't know what the correct level of emotional impact is for me when i'm watching the news but have you noticed do, do you think that there's any meaningful difference in the way that in the the, the form that we can cons we consume this shit now that matters relative to a, a previous time is there any way to talk about this that that consuming this in this way with with full high def like the war is in our fucking living rooms right. and not not like it was in 2003 when the shock and awe campaign started right like that's it's one thing where and and then going all the way back to 91 going going back to the first gulf war where bill hicks had his thing about they showed the same fucking video of a bomb going down a chimney in baghdad over and over again on cnn for three fucking months and like that was war in your living room right but it's not that it's not the shock and awe of seeing those all those rockets firing into baghdad in 2004 2003 2004 it's something different when it's people with these movie production studios in their pockets all the time and like endless yeah. TikTok videos of rubble strewn and body strewn streets and and uh, like reportedly just tens of thousands of people in Mariupol are dead and, and these uh, these other Ukrainian cities that have been reduced to almost nothing and just just thousands and thousands of people dying completely unnecessarily and it's a fucking atrocity but like what is the way that to consume that such that it what is the responsible way to consume that i don't i don't have any idea well you know it's interesting for for many years i would actually avert my gaze whenever they would show like 911 stuff like you know like 
after the, you know, when it actually happened, you would be watching it, obviously. But at, at a certain point, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't constantly watch a bi- plane crashing to a building, knowing it's full of people and it going down and a bunch of people running away. I was like, it's probably not good for your psyche to constantly see the same images over and over again. And so with the current Ukraine war, if there's some sort of atrocity, like there was like that, that picture, I think it was in the times or some other newspaper where there was like the family that was dead, like by a bridge or something like I'll watch something maybe once. And then after that, I will just avoid the visual uh, information. Like I'll still read about it, but like I I am kind of, wary of constantly seeing just dead bodies you know because i don't think that's normal i think it's like we had the technology to convey that to everybody but like it's not normal to see dead bodies everywhere and it's not like of old age like somebody shot them or something fell on them or something horrible happened to the person who's on the ground and so like i try to limit the frequency so i'll i've probably seen most of the same images that you have but if they play it again and again, or if it's online, I won't, I won't click on it or I won't watch it. Right, and I don't ever like I, and I've long like I, I've complained about the the Faces of Death book thing, right? Like Faces of Death was this awful series of VHS tapes from the eighties and nineties that you could rent at the local video store that just showed people dying all the time, right? Like a a, cla- no a classic example of yeah, free it was awful free speech gone too far. Um, Why would anybody watch that? Yeah, people did. Like people, like like in middle school, I would. You could buy it. Was like a as like late night TV advertisement. Like buy this VHS wow. of people getting hit by trains. Right, and I like. Oh my god! I've never, I've never been it. able to stomach that sort of thing. I anytime, like the the ISIS beheadings from from years ago. You watched that? Nick I've Berg. never seen one beheading. Not one. I think that I've seen like maybe one, and I'm not even. I I don't even remember the context of why I decided I that I needed I to watch sleeping. it. I was sleeping. You watched it. Was it like one of the first ones? Like that it Pearl? Was one of the, it was Nick Berg. Was his name? Oh Berg. Okay. I didn't watch it. I yeah, didn't I mean, it's, do that. Sure, and I have largely been good about not subjecting myself to those sorts of things. In part because what is the utility? Because right. the justification for, say, the classic photo of the of the girl, the naked girl screaming in in Vietnam, right? Is it Vietnam where she's that was Vietnam? She, yeah. She's running the, down the streets on fire, basically, like as her clothes have burned off of her. Yeah, and you can argue that the utility of that sort of image is the conveyance of human suffering in the hopes of changing public opinion to the extent that action can be taken to diminish human suffering going forward, right? Like that's that's right. that's the best case utilitarian argument for disseminating horrifying images of human suffering. And I don't know that we are in a position now where the consumption or the dissemination of and then therefore the consumption of the photographs of, of human death and suffering have any utility whatsoever in changing the reality of the world, right? We're in a position where we've decided as a country to be sympathetic to the Ukrainian cause, but not to be actively interfering in the goings-on over there in a way that could meaningfully change the tide of the, of the war, largely out of a perhaps rational fear that doing so would result in a larger conflict and in some sort of World War III type scenario. Well, 
And I don't know if if, if he, we are not in any position if if public opinion is already shaped and has been has been predetermined basically, then what is the utility of knowing or of or of consuming this sort of content? And I I don't know. But just to make I us feel know, bad, I think. Yeah, I, that's certainly true. But I know at least a couple of my friends who have, and I don't know if it's the the visual images of death, but like I, at least a couple of people over the last couple months have said they have tuned out news altogether because especially since the war started just about every news coverage includes something horrible out of ukraine and so they're like it's kind of fucking my mental health or whatever and so like it's if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen i can't do anything about well, it and i'm just the gonna alternative not reporting it not like acting like it's not right. happening right you can't do that yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm talking without a specific point and end here because I don't think that there is anything definitive to be said. So, right. I I think as this war continues, maybe they they won't. They'll change the coverage because the point has been made. You know, like atrocities are being committed, people are dying, civilians are being targeted, that sort of thing. So, like, if that continues, like, I wonder if. The, the editors or, or the decision makers at these media outlets will say, you know, let's scale back the 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 debt, you know, like showing like just dead bodies everywhere to just showing a wider view of things and the destruction. You can kind of see the destruction and the mayhem, but not like individual bodies uh, on the ground or what right. have you and what's also weird about it and, and this is not to say that it's all or that any of it is faked or anything like that but some of these these images are they just the brain shudders so violently away from them that they feel cinematic that, that it's like my 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 brain decides yeah. that what i'm seeing is something that is not actually happening to real people. Like, no, the, right. the blood is just too bright. It must not right. be real. This must, I'm right. seeing something that is designed instead to cause me to have this sort of reaction rather than actually seeing uh, true human suffering, uh, which is not true. Right. right? But, but, but like, in, but in that's the, how people, like, that's how people deal with, I mean, trauma, a lot of it. Like, when, something bad is happening people are like this can't be happening this isn't real yeah. like in your real life it's happening to you like when my friend got mugged she was like is this a joke like it's when chris rock got slapped by will smith you right. you were like, like that's not real like it's it's an instinct that we have and I, I just don't know what the because like i said like i in a, in a weird way what's happened in Russia and to a lesser extent what's happening in China right now but we'll we'll just stick with what's what's happening in Russia or with Russia and Ukraine not that the neoconservatives are right right <laughs> but but ultimately <laughs> in a in a perfect world in a world where team america world police could be a just cop on the world beat that is like one understands in a in a perfect system one understands the instinct for ne- adventurous neoconservatism in that way right which is that there as long as there are bad actors in the world and and granted like and and it it shouldn't be a caveat that i need to make right america has not been a perfect global citizen by any reasonable definition right like there's no 
why I have to make the caveat, I don't know, but I feel compelled to make the caveat anyway. But compared to what Putin has done, compared to what he's decided to do, put all this fucking Mearsheimer bullshit, all of the all of the this is a result of American Americans insisting that 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 NATO expand uh, beyond the original purview. You can fuck right off. This is a decision that was made by Vladimir Putin. This is a war of choice, a war of aggression, and it's resulting in wildly unnecessary human suffering and death that, that, is, that is going to change the face of the planet for the years to come. And I recognize that we don't want to exacerbate that by instituting a no-fly zone over Ukraine or whatever, and potentially, I guess, like... And and the longer this goes on, and the longer that Ukraine proves to be Russia's equal on the battlefield, right? Yeah. Then the more ridiculous it is for us to worry about pissing off Vladimir Putin, right? Like, what the fuck is he gonna do? At the, like, he clearly doesn't have the military capacity to do anything if we decided right. to get involved in this. If the entire Western well, alliance – yeah, sure, does he have the world's biggest collection of nukes and could he potentially use them in, a, in the event right. that he believes that he, he, he will be otherwise eliminated from the face of the earth? I suppose so. And that's always – that's the fucking gamble that we've been living with since 1945, right? That the wrong right. fucking idiot gets his hand on the button. And he is clearly among the wrong possible outcomes, the wrong idiot uh, to have his hand on the button. But at the same time, in terms of subduing Russia, like there's no doubt in my mind any longer that the Western alliance could effectively push Russia out of Ukraine, right? I mean, and and yeah, would it provoke a a strong negative reaction and, and, and certainly justify a lot of what Putin has been saying internally for years, right? About about how they just want an emasculated Russia and they want a, a weakened and, and subdued Russia. Yeah, I guess it would play right into that. But at some point, you just have to not worry about whether or not you're playing into your enemy's worst conception of who you are and just do the right fucking thing. And does that sound like well, me warmongering? I guess it, it sort of does. <laughs> but uh, also, I, I still don't see what would be the justification for the U.S. or NATO to be involved. I mean— there is no agreement with Ukraine, right? So would it be on humanitarian grounds? And if that's the case, then why weren't we involved in other humanitarian-related things, right? I mean, we would have to have some sort of this is why. And so I don't know what that would be. I mean, the, the humanitarian why, the why is-, is just that the there's no legal fucking basis for the war in the first place. And so that you don't right. need, I mean, yeah, it's better to have a rules-based international order, but at the same time, if the rules-based international order has been so viciously violated by Putin in this case, and decided that Ukraine shouldn't exist, the internal, the internal nonsense that is, that is being spouted in there in, in Russian media is a level of disinformation that would make fucking Republicans and the the insurrectionists so called of uh, uh, January sixth blush like it's it's completely fucking nuts the sort of thing that people inside Russia are hearing about what's happening in this in this war right. and yeah I'm not I'm not pushing for American intervention in in a boots and on the ground sort of way I recognize that that is uh, uh, folly but at the same time I'm I am more sympathetic to the idea that there's a way that we could further involve ourselves, whether it's just like because a no fly zone is is an option 
And yes, it could be seen as a provocation, but it, what it does is it says, you're not allowed to cross this line into this area. And if you do, you will be shot down. And then you make them make the move to cross that fucking line. Right. Right. And like, yeah, it would be bad to have American F-22s or whatever getting into dogfights with Russian fighters over Ukrainian airspace. But I, I'm just not convinced that Putin could actually believe that that would be the right move at that point, right? Like you push back on the right. bully and and he's got to be a fucking idiot at this point to think that he would that, that this would be a survivable event for him to push up against the NATO alliance. But right. But I don't know. And again, I'm not trying to say that the United States should go to war here. It's just, if not now, when? Like, I, I, and maybe. Well, well, if they invaded Poland, I mean, there, there's a lot of when, right? It seems like. But if the, prospect of, the, world, the prospect of World War III isn't diminished by Russia invading Poland, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> invading Poland is you might, like I said before, it might as well That's be invading not America, us right? Starting it. That's them starting it. You, you are then duty bound to come to Poland's aid, but you're not in that same position with Ukraine. That's the difference, basically, and and I'm sure that obviously that's what went into the calculation to invade Ukraine, right? He knew that. Putin right, but, knew but, that. But, but now, but I guess it's just it just bothers me because like Putin was already duty bound not to do what he did according to agreements that were obviously not worth the fucking paper that they were right. written on in after right. 2014, right? So like t- to an extent, if we're if we're talking about this in a realistic way, there's no point in talking about who's duty bound to do what, given that the the various players at the table have no interest in following any of those duty bound rules in the first place. No, uh, you're right. I just think anything other than what we're currently doing, and obviously I, I suppose you can ramp up more sanctions and provide more military aid and that you know keep up those efforts, but like it's not sustainable to have the U.S. go into Ukraine in any way, no fly or whatever, uh, and, and, and have all of these other conflicts around the world, and you're like, well, fuck you guys, right? Like there has to be some sort of argument for why you're doing these things don't just do things i mean we just had the whole iraq and afghanistan 20 years of that and at least the afghanistan start the afghanistan war started with some sort of reason why like you're harboring the people who you know attacked on 9-11 uh with the iraq thing it was a lot flimsier but you don't want to get to a position to where you're doing things just out of reacting to what's happening like you have to have actually like some reason to do it and there isn't one militarily for Ukraine. At least I don't see one. There's something about the fact that Ukraine has made such a stand of it that makes it more it makes it more plausible than than less plausible for me. Uh but whatever. And also, you know, like f- an article that you shared, Finland and Sweden are going to join NATO this summer according to uh right. some reports. So like the everything that Putin has done here has has backfired on him. Uh if if the goal was to and who knows what the goals were like there's no way of fucking knowing because I don't it's think there are goals a black I think box. that's the whole problem he's crazy yeah I don't think he's crazy I'm, I'm I I don't he's not crazy but he's not nearly as smart as everybody out made him out to be because yeah. this is not a smart move all right last thing I want to say about there were a couple other articles I want to talk about in the Times you can hear the paper rustling probably below my voice which is <laughs> Very not a dramatic you should there's the whole internet yeah. All right. There was the the last one that I'll talk about here. 
uh, headline, straight people need better rules oh, for Jesus sex. Christ. <laughs> Here's the... Man, let it go. Yeah, I've already, I already complained about Ooh. this article to Lori uh, on Sunday morning. The too long didn't read is just like, okay, don't worry. Just this is just this is dumb person writing an article. Try not to worry about it. Yeah, and so, so, yeah, on that front. So there's another article about how basically there's this woman with an immunocompromised 13-year-old who writes in the Times this weekend in the op-ed from Sunday about how we need to restructure our entire society around the 3 to 4% of the population that is vulnerable in an immunocompromised sort of way. And to an extent... Lori's right. That's just some fucking person in a newspaper making that case. But also, it happens to be like the paper of record. It happens to be the paper that sets the news agenda. Didn't we start this episode with me saying the New York Times sucks? Don't read it? Yes. Okay, so that's the even even TLDR'd version of this. Like, just don't worry about it. Okay, but... You could say that about literally everything that we talk about on the show, and you would be right. But also, <laughs> what like what are we doing here? And if if the answer to what we're doing here is fucking watching bad television, and <laughs> and and like like I don't know. Like to me, it's worth engaging with because I think the world can be a better place than it actually is. I recognize that that's foolhardy and that that's a, a quarter thrown into an endless well that will never re- uh, there will be no return on that investment, and that's fine. But I think it matters that people are using the spaces of the New York Times op-ed page on Sundays to do completely insane wish casting of their own. But do you think there's any value in Allowing dumb ideas to mm-hmm. be printed in the opinion page because I mean, it's not a, you know these are not like reporters right they're just like I'm some schmuck and this is my <laughs> take and this is a take not a particularly good one right so that's what's interesting to me I lo- don't think that I don't think that the New York Times used to be this way I th- I think that it is the case that the opinion page almost as a result of the the maximalizing nature of social media, of, of, of needing to have increasingly unhinged takes in order to make any sort of a splash, has the result of that is people on the very fringes of liberal orthodoxy getting to publish long op-eds in the New York Times insisting that we need to restructure all of the way that we do risk management for the United States population around those with immune compromised 13 year olds at home right like that right. that's insane we should not restructure all of society around the people who are undergoing chemo because once a century there's a fucking flu that goes around right, right? but don't you think other people other readers such as yourself are reading those thoughts and they're coming to the same conclusion like are you out of your fucking mind like no but that's you don't not think that, a good way but it's all, to do journalism. And it's all framed in terms of have you, have you no heart. This is, so, but if the, if the whole thing is framed in terms of have you no heart, what, where's your empathy, then they are in fact communicating with that 20% of the population with whom they already agree, right? So they're using the empathy politics of the left right. to communicate their position. And it's a way of constantly moving. The Overton window is a phrase that's 
come and gone in the cultural conversation. But what they're doing is that they're pushing the bounds of empathy further and further out to a smaller and smaller, down to the individual, such that the entire society should be restructured around the concerns of the individual. That's... That's their argument, but do you think this has been successful? It seems like there's been a lot of pushback against like overly uh, strict things, like you know. It has it has like been su- yeah from assholes. It has been successful, but it's not. It's re- no longer just assholes. A lot of people are like, wait a minute, we're doing all of the you know the thing was working fine for all these years, like. Except that it's been successful within the ideologically captured segment of this audience, right? It has been absolutely successful in reshaping the entire conversation on one side of the political aisle. It has been so successful that you can determine which side of the fucking endless culture war you're on based on whether or not you feel a sense of empathy for the 13-year-old immune-compromised person in this op-ed, right? But you can feel empathy for that specific situation, but you can also think at the same time it is lunacy to try to take that very isolated example into a policy that applies to a much broader right, population. I, don't know. It's in the pages I think you're the, being really generous with people. It's in the pages of the paper, right. though, is the point that I'm making. No, but again, but I, that's what I'm asking. You, do you think that there's any utility in having arguments, even the bad ones, on the page so people can kind of get their head wrapped around it and come up and articulate arguments against it because it does sound like, you know, they're breaking out the violin. I think like if that's you, what people person. did, it would be great, but that's not what people do. Right. Just like how because you can word a question in polling, just wording it yeah. a little bit differently elicits to get the, the opposite right, yeah. answer. Like, that's all it is. My answer to right. your question is the entire output of one Jamel Bowie. Right. So and I yeah. I do that advisedly and I recognize it's not fair. But what Jamel Bowie does is he sees the excesses of the left. He rarely directly participates in what we could call the excesses of the woke left. And what he always does afterwards is to point at the fracas, to point at the at the chaos generated by that conversation and say, oh, what are we really talking about here? We're just talking about some very small percentage of the population, and it's really no big deal. And, and the thing that you're all freaking out about, like, I'm not that way, and I'm on the left, so the thing that you're worried about is nothing to actually be worried about. Please just be quiet. And maybe maybe you're right. Maybe maybe he's right to 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 be rather than to engage with it in any meaningful way to just say oh, i think that's just that's just a bunch of you're reacting to something that is yes real but is such a small percentage that it's nothing to worry about that may be true but that is almost certainly also a recipe for allowing the thing to metastasize on one side right. of the culture uh, and become more true if the people who are rational thinkers, people who recognize it as something that we should be concerned about, instead just say, oh, it's just this tiny little percentage. Like it, it, In the face of overwhelming evidence that it's not just some small percentage, right? And, and, and I, I still don't know if how sizable this group is because in Philadelphia, like there's a, a story that came out on Monday, uh, the day of the recording, that and they're announcing that they're going to reinstate the mask mandate a week from now. Right. Right. 
which is kind of a weird thing to do, weird. but whatever. Right, a week from now, and I don't know if it if they're going to change between now and, and next week, but if you go to the CDC website and you look at the county by county data, Philadelphia County is at low, right? So according to the CDC, which is the federal uh, agency, according to the CDC, there is no need for a mask wearing based on their guidelines. I think there were some... Did they uh, get some like weird wastewater readings or something? No, they're basically, they have this weird metric that triggers different levels. And if it's a 50% increase over a period of time, basically the numbers are so low now that the it's been kind of taken up a little bit in different parts of the country, but not a significant amount. But, but they're saying, but the absurd, this is the how absurd it all part of it is the thing that you already mentioned, which is that it doesn't kick in until a week from now. Yeah, that's right. Weird. Right. So if, if in fact what we've seen, if the, if the criticism of the CDC guidelines is that it, it happens too late, right? That by the time right. your county goes yellow or goes red, then there's already too much COVID in your local area for masking to have any meaningful impact. It's too late. The spike has already happened, and there's a halfway decent chance that you're on the backside of it anyway, right? Then right. if Philadelphia is a step ahead of them and is still only saying, hey— this is going to happen a week from now after we've seen a 70% increase in the last two weeks of, of COVID cases, which, again, if you're starting with a very small number, it only takes a relatively small number of cases exactly. to give you the 70% spike. Then a week from now, you're only going to have exacerbated the – if masking actually has any discernible impact on slowing the spread, you're – You've now wasted a week and you've you've like doubly done the thing where it's just pure COVID theater for no good reason whatsoever. Talk about your straight people having sex thing. I want Abe to finish his point about Philadelphia oh, okay. if he has to. Well, no, but what I'm saying is the reason why I, I sometimes and I did not read this article in the New York Times that you were talking about, about the 13 year old. But if it weren't for articles like that, I would be even more flabbergasted that any county official would would take this approach to say despite the numbers being where they are and that according to the cdc which is already a cautious they use a cautious metric as it is right they're getting in front of that and they're anticipating it a week from now which kind of seems like a cynical ploy because someone could read it as they just want to see how bad the blowback will be and i could have told them it's going to be big because like you can't really convince people that they live in a place where the CDC thinks that, that the levels of transmissions are low, the lowest level, and also wear the mask, right? So you won't have any buy-in, even from the sensible people. Again, I'm not talking about people at the fringes who are crazy no matter what, right? But the sensible, regular people are going to say, what the fuck? Like, no other city's doing this. No, uh, There's no other metric that shows that the numbers are up the hospitals hospital numbers are all down everything is down but they're just assuming because omicron's numbers went through the roof that that's what will happen here but if that doesn't happen then what what little public trust that they have is going to be gone and they're just going to be mocked and not to bring the political aspect to it but it doesn't help where you're like this the, the nannying this trying to wield power over people needlessly especially that doesn't play well. So, like, to, to whose benefit is this for? Anyone who wants to mask can do so already, right? So if that was a target audience, they're the only ones that are going to comply with us, right? So it's like, to me, it's, it's like it fails at every level. 
And I don't understand why they would do that. But then, I, you know, you'll read in the New York Times, somebody saying, let's reorient everything around this isolated situation. And then it makes sense that there are certain people that live in these bubbles. And it makes perfect sense to, to say, everybody do this thing because me and like three other people think this, this way. Right. So at least it kind of like there's something you can point to to say, oh, that's where they're getting these dumb ideas from. And so maybe there's a benefit to having that on instead of just saying this is too stupid to publish. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, that requires it requires the audience to, in a wide way, be more intelligently critical of the thing that they're reading than I think is likely to be the case a lot of the time. What you're saying yeah. is that exposure to bad – and I agree. Exposure to bad speech is better than suppressing bad speech. I'm not by any – by no stretch am I saying that this person should be disallowed from writing in the pages of the New York Times or anything like that. But I think maybe it's a little too clever by half to be suggesting like it is it is exposure of these fringe ideas in mainstream populations that will allow us as a as a relatively intelligent uh, consumer of news to determine that, oh, that's that's clearly a step too far and we need to be better about things. I don't know. though. Right. Yeah. Here's a quote from Straight People Need Better Rules for Sex. It is premised on the idea that uh, hookup culture is bad and sex is bad for straight people these days. And she she frames this around a notion of uh, what's called heteropessimism, which is a mode of feeling usually expressed in the form of regret, embarrassment, and hopelessness about the straight experience. And this is this is parenthetically noted in the op-ed, quote, queer relationships being less beholden to male-female gender dynamics may present fewer issues, uh, but they aren't perfect either. So the framing of this is that perhaps it's the straights who have it worse after all, because at least the gays, when it's when it's lesbians, it's just women on women, and therefore they don't have to deal with the gender politics of male female relationships and when it's when it's gays then it's just uh the the, the dudes and therefore also don't have to deal with the toxic male female the, dynamics what's the toxic part maybe i'm confused so if people are contentially the male, doing things abe the male is the yeah. toxic part so this is Jesus a person Christ. this is a you very common thing in women we are a lot of us really disappointed at how straight we are because dudes suck so much. Right. And it would just be a lot better if I were sexually attracted to women. I'm not. So I have to like, you know. Right. That's because you're phobic in certain ways. No. All right. I'm going to read another quote from the article. It's time to raise the standard for what good sexual encounters look like and hold ourselves and our peers accountable to it. Good, that is to say ethical, sex is not simply about getting consent so that we can do what we want. The ideal we might strive for instead is to will the good of our partners too and hold ourselves back from having sex if we cannot or are unsure that our partners do. Uh, this might lead to less casual sex, at least in the short term, but considering the clear dissatisfaction with the current landscape, that might not be so bad. I'm still... Confused. Like, what is this? Like, what specifically are they proposing? Because uh, guys are going to be guys no matter what. So, like, what is. article that no one should pay any attention to is the answer. 
what I believe is being suggested, and I think that this is borne out in the text of the article, is that she believes that your peer group should help you determine whether or not you're having appropriate sex. That that the the thing that we've always said in the culture that that the liberal orthodoxy of what happens between two consenting adults in the bedroom is fine is now no longer fine that that is not an acceptable ethical standard because of the way that what happens in the bedroom can have an impact on the rest of the world and that instead you need to Uh, So, for example, if you're having brunch with the ladies and she talks about how she likes to be degraded in the bedroom or something like that, that you should – you need to interfere in that because it's not okay for there to be a man going around with the knowledge that women or at least this one particular woman and therefore women like to be degraded in that way. That you have an ethical responsibility to all of the people who have sex in the world to only have the sort of sex that is ethically responsible according to the standards of uh, the person writing this article, presumably. So, this is, so, so they're not for the sex positivity movement? No, that's going away. So basically it's like even if you're into it, it – it's not good being for in, being into it is not enough. Being into it is no longer shouldn't be into it. The Someone standard because should be. that's a because good point. it is yeah. up to your but peer group you to are. determine whether or not that's something that is acceptable for you to be into. But is, is, does this make sense? Do you want people to run their sex lives by committee? Like this person who decided to write a thing, and then the editors who decided to print it seem to think that. But that's just one person, right? And I don't think that they deserve any more of our credit or thought than anyone else. Right. So you think back to my point, it's like when something is that stupid, you just have to shake your head and go, that's stupid. Could you think there'd be a a sensible article that could have been written about like kind of speaking to the individual? Like, let's say, I mean, what if the woman is like, I'm into it, but because – she thinks that this is like an expectation that she should fulfill, and it's you like have to write no, that you, article. you don't have to be into it. Like that would make sense, but this other argument is ridiculous. You, it's just like all the rest of art. If I if I take a basketball and deflate it and put it in a glass case and call it art, you say I could have done that. Right. Yeah, but you didn't. Yeah, exactly. You write that article. <laughs> okay. They wrote that. And I'm one. perfectly I'm perfectly willing to accept your argument when it comes to fucking TikTok videos or Instagram posts or tweets. Like I think that's perfectly valid to say what are you doing? You're just like you're poking Twitter with a stick to try to make content for things. I agree. Maniacs are a dime a dozen in the modern world. It's just that I think that there should be a difference between the hot takes of Twitter and the hot takes think, of the pages of the New York be. Times. Right. Maybe right. they should. So it's not it's it's not enough to just say that's a crazy person and we should ignore it. It should, in fact, be noted in some way. I, 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 I don't guess think that's why I'm here. the New York Times would ever agree to this, but they should have end of year dumbest op-ed or something and maybe they can revisit some of these because maybe they'll kind of cut down on the nonsense well this article ties in neatly with what we watched this weekend we'll get to that soon enough i did want to briefly touch on the the whitmer kidnap the the governor whitmer yeah gretchen whitmer whitmer kidnapping 
She was allegedly in in big trouble. She might have been kidnapped back uh, during the pandemic, according to uh, prosecutors. But the two men were acquitted in the kidnapping plot of the of the governor of Michigan, and the other two. There was a, a hung jury for the other two, and the reason for that, it seems. You know that that old thing that you, they used to say entrapment, like yes. you, big trope, a big trope in in like '90s and early 2000s television was to talk about entrapment. Uh, but it seems like, as is the case with uh, a whole bunch of other terrorist plots that happen here in the United States, that this was the result of uh, federal agents who got involved with a group of people and then kept insisting that they do crimes. That right, it would they be did a, really a lot of fun. the heavy lifting instead of like them being in the group and they're, they're gathering the evidence. They're the ones that are kind of like, hey, we can get hey, this done. Remember, remember all those crimes that you guys wanted to do? Let's let's do those crimes instead of like drink beer and go bowling. Let's do crimes right, instead. Right. And and in fact, you know, during the good old days, the war on terror years, remember those um, uh, where they would have all these different stories of like Muslim types who were basically entrapped in similar ways. Uh, and I never understood why, I guess I, I do understand, they want to make the case, right? But they must rec- realize that they are undoing their own case by being so heavily involved. There's too much hand-holding. There's too much encouragement. There's too much providing the means to do the things. Like They must know. I know they're not like lawyers, but like they must know that this is not going to hold up in court. And yet, they still do it. They still, like, egg people on to do things. That, by the way, even though they didn't make the case, these fuckheads, and just like the Muslim uh, people back in the day, if the setting was right, they would do it, right? I don't think that this proves that they wouldn't, but you have to do it through the legal way. And I think at least one of the people pled guilty like to a plea, <laughs> right? How silly must they feel, right? Because they're like, <laughs> I don't want to risk it. It's likely that they'll have us, and they'll give us a much stri- uh, stiffer punishment. And so, I don't want to risk it. I'll I'll cop to a plea. And now that they're watching their buddies who risked it all, and two of them are acquitted, and the other ones are probably. I don't think they're gonna retry that, right? They're gonna let, let it go. And so it's- it seems like it. Yeah. The, and I mean, not to not to focus on the one idiot on Twitter again, uh, but I did see a couple of people saying like a whole lot of outrage here about these white guys who who got uh, who got off for uh, their crimes that were apparently influenced by federal prosecutors. I don't remember all of the outrage about all of the brown and black people who were similarly entrapped by law enforcement in previous years. It's like, the fuck are you talking about? Right. And and. And that could be a minor point you can make, but like, I wish when people do this hypocrisy point, are you? What is your position? Are you saying entrapment is okay? Was it okay then? Is it okay now? Like, or is that like such an obvious point that you don't even want to make it? Because like, if it was wrong then, then it's correct that they were acquitted now, right? Like, so the current decision is right. correct. If you always believe that entrapment is wrong, right? But they never actually weigh in on that part. It's just I'm just gonna say the snide comment just so right. I can say that. And to be clear, this is shitty behavior by federal police. That yes, like I, I I don't see the 
I, I've never, and I, I'm sure that you can go back and find examples of us talking about this back in 2009, 2010. I remember it. About uh, these these plots that are basically birthed entirely by law enforcement and and brought to near fruition by law enforcement uh, and and parodied brilliantly by South Park in the form of uh, the the cop who pretends to be a, a hooker and only only draws his gun on the John after he's sealed the deal. <laughs> Freeze! Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and what, <laughs> wasn't there a uh, This American Life like musical whatever where like the this undercover cop is like trying to sell drugs to somebody who's like enamored with the undercover cop and they're just trying to entrap the kids into getting a drug charge on them. I think they, they need to reconsider, like, what are you trying to do? Like, you're trying to entrap somebody, that, and it's not going to hold up in court. Maybe they were hoping that they would all plea, and it would look like a success. And that's the, the weird thing is, like, if people just flooded the courts and no one took a plea, the whole system would fall apart because there's not enough court hearings to – to hear everyone's case, if everybody said, fuck it, let's go to court, it would crash the yeah. system. But anyway, uh, I had a whole bunch of other stuff to get to, but we've been going on for too long. So I will say that you've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to the website at brainiron.com. You can also send an email to us, brainironpodcast at gmail.com. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Abe, have you been to the movies? Yes. Actually, I went to two movies. Uh, April appears to be uh, going to be a busy month. Probably like see six or seven movies in all. Oh, but wow. I, I saw two movies. Neither of them were particularly good, and that may I'm going to say, can I guess, and I do not know this, did you see Morbius? No. No. But that would have been three terrible movies. I saw Sonic 2. And- <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> was it good? It was not good, no, but it was What fine. was the first? How was the first one? Did it was similar. It was... It not was very good. Yeah, but. not good. Okay. And first one came out like right at the start of the pandemic, yes. right? Yeah, it was they like turned a that mo- around quick. a month before. Yeah, but and they and the second movie cut scenes, which is also not well. I should re- re- rephrase that. Ambulance is the movie that I, that I went to go see, okay. and apparently that's um, Michael Bay, right? Ma- Michael Ma- Bay directing Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes, Gyllenhaal's doing like a. I'm a coked out robber kind of thing for like two hours. It was it was great, but and the movie flopped. It didn't do well, um, but it, it's a very entertaining movie if you consider how bad it is. Like there are so many moments where you just laugh, and it's not like a laughing scene. It's just so right. preposterous, and it feels like a movie that should have come out like 15 kind years of movies. ago. What's that? Those are my favorite. Kind yeah, of no, movies. you would like it because. First of all, <laughs> it literally does feel like a movie that came out like right after like the Iraq war or, you know, like nice. in 2007, 2008, because like I'm a Marine and the VA is screwing up my benefits. And now I'm going to have oh, yeah. See, they're like, this, it's like Jughead, too. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. But 
they almost made the connection that government incompetence, like at this agency, caused this guy to rob a bank. And I'm like, I know we're bad, but we're not that bad. You can't pin all of that <laughs> on some customer rep who didn't care about his his uh, account or his benefit status or whatever. Uh, but there are just so many things. I hope I hope they release it in a streaming platform quickly, since it's not getting any traction in the theaters. But it's obscenely ridiculous at nice. so many different moments. Well, good. That that one did look worth uh, it. Looked worth watching on like a Sunday, slightly yeah. hungover, while you're sitting on your couch, kind yes. of moving. I wanted to see. I still want to see. It's out there now. Uh, is it called Everything Everywhere All at Once or something like that? I'm going to go uh, see that this week, yeah. That looks good. That, that looks... apparently, uh, one, of, one of my friends went to go see it. Apparently, it's not the main focus of the movie, but there's a portion of the movie where there's an IRS sex dungeon in an IRS building. So I'll you report know. back next week. I've personally never heard of such a how thing. Did, so How did they get access to that? That's uh... – <laughs> To what? Thought, to the IRS sex dungeon. I thought that that thought you kept those keys like separate from everything else. Nope. That's, I uh, I've never visited such a place. I don't know what they're talking about. Oh sure. Oh, it's sh- getting good not. reviews, so we'll see. The IRS sex dungeon. Yes, <laughs> that's what they should have called it instead of everything, everywhere, whatever. You know what? You know who's in that movie? In the, the little Asian kid from Goonies and from uh, Short Round. The kid from. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. No kidding. Yeah. How come I- he's uh, he, pl- he he had basically all but retired from acting for the last thirty years. Oh wow! And he plays the the male lead in that movie Look opposite that. opposite uh, Michelle Yeoh or whatever her name is. Yeah. Anyway, I want to see that. It looks like uh, it looks like an Asian version of like a Charlie Kaufman slash Michelle Gondry kind of movie. It looks looks fun. It's also fucking like two hours and 45 minutes long or something like that. Every movie is two hours long these days. Even so Ambulance. It's okay when they're crazy action movies. Yeah. <laughs> Here's no, what, so many movies are over two hours Zathura, long. We watched Zathura. We watched North by Northwest. We did. I, I showed the kids North by Northwest. We watched so the, much good stuff. The we Hitchcock watched that classic. Kurt Vonnegut documentary. Can I, can, can I be involved here in, in discussing these things that we watched or you just want to give a list? I know you want to go to bed, but come on. I would like to go to bed. I ordered and received in the mail the Godfather trilogy, Ooh. the the 4K 50th anniversary re-release, remastered Godfather trilogy. And I hadn't seen, I've still never seen Godfather Part 3, or as they're calling the current version of it, Godfather Coda, I think. the Godfather Coda, the death yeah. of Michael Corleone or something like that. How dare you? I mean, uh, I'm tired. But and I, I will watch the third one. I watched. The, Wait, you've the, never the, ever seen the third one? No, I, I have no, never, never seen, seen the, the third one. one. Really? Till yeah. just now. The third one. <laughs> he marries his, like his cousin or something, or somebody right, marries. Uh, relax. Uh, excuse That's, me. Spoilers, spoilers. bro. Uh, but <laughs> it's only like fifty years. Anyway, old. it had been a long time since I'd seen the Godfather movies, and to be honest, I don't know that I had ever seen an unbroken, like start to finish, Godfather Part Two. Like I know that I'd seen it on cable when I was a kid, but I'm not convinced that I'd ever seen the whole thing front to back. And so, this a couple weeks ago, I got it in the mail. I watched the first one. First one is fucking fantastic. Yes, just absolutely worthy of its reputation right like you cannot it's like 
Yeah, you read fucking Moby Dick. Oh, shit, it's Moby Dick. Yeah. That's fucking great, right? Uh, Godfather, fucking great. What's his name? Not uh, Pacino, Jimmy actually. Uh, Pacino has a moment in that movie that I don't think he's actually very good. But it's like just this one scene, the performance isn't up to snuff. But other than that, James Caan, fucking spectacular. Uh, Marlon Brando, absolutely fucking... Yes. Everything you've ever heard about Marlon Brando, it turns out they were right. Marlon Brando's just fucking great, especially in this movie. Godfather Part 2. Can I tell my funny story about The Godfather 2? Yes. Because your dad was here watching it with us, and it opens like a lot of movies do in the past. Right. It's like, remember that stuff you know? We're before that. Yeah. And it has the whole scene, which happens in the beginning, and then it cuts to the present day of the story. And I said, well, I want to know how we got from then to now. And Bob's dad goes, that is what this movie is. That's like literally <laughs> the whole movie. I have the that. movie for you. It's the one you're watching. But you're uh, in luck. And far be it from me to uh, make broad pronouncements about uh, elements of the culture. Obviously, that's not my MO. But uh, Godfather Part 2 is overrated. And I, I, I confirmed that with a rewatch. I think that Godfather Part 1 is the superior movie. And Part 2 is just simply not as good. And it, it feels cheaper. It feels made for television. And all of the De Niro stuff doesn't work for me. Like the, the really? all of the flash. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I so disagree. I can't believe we even talked about this. I could have done without any of the stuff in the 60s. I could have done a whole movie of little baby Robert Brand Marlon Brando, Robert De Niro. I could have done the whole movie with none of the mob stuff. I don't like the soft focus fucking bullshit. I don't like the, the hazy look at, at Italy at the turn of the... 19th century. I don't like 20s and 30s New York shot with that oh, hazy hot yellow. Take. I understand it's that just preferring one over the other, uh, but De Niro was great. De Niro is fine, but the whole I think that that whole movie hinges on stupid melodrama in a way that the first one doesn't. Like because especially like part. You watch the first half of that movie, which is like I think the up to intermission in Godfather Part Two is two hours, and then the the second half of the movie is ninety minutes. So you watch the first two fucking hours, and it's like, what the fuck? Like this doesn't even come close. And then there's a lot of drama in the back half of that movie that I think confuses people about whether or not it's as good as the the actual first movie is. And I don't think it is. I think that that. That scene with Diane Keaton and Al Pacino in the apartment when he gets to do his Al Pacino thing and yell and scream and slap the shit out of her. I think that that's stupid family melodrama stuff that, that feels like television and not in a complimentary way. Uh, and, I'm going to have to watch and, uh, the second one again because the last I watched it, it, it the, was as good as the first one from what I It's not as good as the first one. And when the line where she says... I had an abortion, Michael, because this marriage is an abortion. Like, ah, ah, just fucking rewrite that line. It's a garbage line. And it's supposed to be like the big emotional moment where, where Michael Corleone severs in an important way from one half of himself into another half of himself. And it just doesn't work. And I think the, the main problem that I have is that the, the 
if there's a flaw in Godfather Part 1, it's that Michael Corleone's motivations are never made clear. And then they made a whole second movie trying to explain to you Michael Corleone's motivations, and they do a terrible job of it. That, that of all of the characters, Michael Corleone is not fleshed out in a meaningful way in terms of determining what's going, inside, going on inside his head. And and I think it it part of it is that he, as a character, pales in comparison to uh, both the Brando character, the the Vito character, and also in comparison to Sonny. Sonny Corleone uh, is is a fantastic and fully understood character, even if he is just this fucking ham-fisted idiot right. uh, at least at least we know what's going on in there with with Michael I'm never convinced that we get a good picture of what's going on in his head but yeah still I mean in the grand scheme of things is Godfather Part 2 a good movie yes Godfather Part 2 is a good movie I just think that it is obvious that Godfather Part 1 is a better movie right and a lot of people think the other way around I think yeah both and great. I think that they're the wrong. third one is significantly worse Nice. So I've heard. Although uh, apparently uh, Coppola, anyway, claims that he's basically fixed. He's fixed it now that this this version of Godfather Three, Coda, is is more true to his original vision and therefore better. But I guess we'll see when I get around to watching that. As Laurie mentioned, we also watched a Kurt Vonnegut documentary on so good. Hulu, which was wonderful. If you have any affection for Kurt Vonnegut whatsoever, if you've ever read one of his books, if you think you might like Kurt Vonnegut, if you just sort of like funny, cranky old men, uh, then watch this movie. It is it is two, two hours and seven minutes long or something like that and absolutely worth your time. What platform is it on? It's on Hulu. Hulu. It's not Amazon? I think it's Hulu. Okay. Uh, It's called uh, Kurt Vonnegut Unstuck in Time. It was produced and directed by Robert Whitey, who is Larry David's longtime uh, directing partner from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He had made documentaries for years before teaming up with Larry David for Curb Your Enthusiasm and then and, and spent much of his adult life, much of the last 40 years, uh, filming and planning a Kurt Vonnegut documentary that didn't end up coming to fruition until last year. Didn't, didn't end up getting finished. I can remember a few years ago when the Kickstarter happened, and I almost donated to the Kickstarter, but I, I never got around to it, but... Good news, they managed to finish the movie without my <laughs> contribution. <didn't> <laughs> anyway, uh, but absolutely, absolutely worth your time. I, I, I have no complaints about it beyond maybe a little bit of complaining about how much Whitey himself inserts himself into the narrative. But with this sort of project, I think it's kind of inevitable. Uh, and they seem to have a genuine friendship and relationship that, that spanned many years. And so that complaint can be minimized and ignored largely because obviously this guy was important to Kurt as not, not as much as, as Kurt was important to him, but, but in a meaningful way. Uh, the one other thing that we've been watching, which I have a great deal of shame about. <laughs> we've and been watching two other things. Two other things. What are the, the two things? The vagina thing and the oh, other God. thing. Oh yeah. God. The vagina both- thing? Which the article tied in perfectly with. You could have skipped the whole last half hour of Yak, Yak, Yak and gone right into the vagina thing. Yeah. There's a a show on Netflix, a documentary series. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. It's called The Pleasure Principle or The Principles of Pleasure or something like that. 
if you're scrolling through Netflix and you see what appears to be a flowery vagina on your screen, it's that. It's like this. Who's that? Who's the woman who does all the vagina paintings whose name I can't remember? Georgia O'Keeffe? Yeah. It's like a Georgia O'Keeffe painting on your Netflix screen. It's not. It just looks like a vagina. It's a trash documentary. It's it is not good. It is every bit of the sort of sort of weird lunacy that we were talking about earlier. It would have uh, made sense to talk about it then. It probably would have made sense to talk about it then. I tried to get you there. Uh but but yeah, that that documentary sucks. We're also watching for some reason because it was my birthday. Because it was Lori's birthday. So we got to watch whatever Lori wanted to watch. And what Lori wanted to watch was something on Netflix it's that's so called The Ultimatum. Uh, marry me or get off the pot or something along those lines. <laughs> where the number one TV show in the U.S. It is a total piece of shit. And it is full of some of the most abhorrent people I can imagine getting together in one place and and sticking in a room together and then turning the cameras on. Like they're just irredeemable sociopathic narcissistic pieces of shit almost to a person. Almost like there's just none of them are worth even discussing and for some reason there's like 15 hours of television about them. I'm looking it's at the like 8 hours. I'm looking at the ca- so the Lachaise are Involved in this? Yeah. So it turns out they're evil. And what they like to do is ruin people's lives for their and our entertainment and also money. Wow. It's it's the people in the show are so shockingly stupid and and shitty and and just so shitty and they get so drunk and you can tell that it's sort of trying to edit it to not they're not getting drunk and rambunctious necessarily no they're not showing them like doing a bunch of shots and oh, so it's not like that they're just are just they holed up in a hotel people or? are talking like this like they can't they can't quite open their mouths it's and you can tell they're trying to edit away how drunk they are and they can't do it it's it's so great, and I'm so mad that I'm not watching it right now. How how far along are you guys? How many episodes? We're more than halfway through. Okay. It's terrible. We're it's, all the way to the point where the original. So they the this premise of the show is that these bad people have insisted to their partners that they have to get married or else the like relationship is over. Yeah. And they're all like 23 to 28 years old. And, and dumb. And the moment that you think that one of them is an actual human being, uh, you've you've deluded yourself because the next moment they will reveal themselves to be awful pieces of shit. Uh, do they? And, and it do the the partner who's getting the ultimatum. Do they know why they're on the show, or do they withhold that yes, until everyone is fully aware of what is happening? Okay, right. so which like, makes it okay. Which only makes it worse yeah. because you can't you cannot. <laughs> Suspend your disbelief long enough to imagine that these are people who didn't just fucking choose to be here, right? right. Like it's just these. I assume that ugh. some of them are gonna not shit, right? So to speak. So if the partner's like, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna let's go to the show. It'll be fun. Um, I'm gonna do an ultimatum, and you're either gonna marry me or not." And the other person who already knows that it's gonna be not is like, "Okay, let's let but me you embarrass think that, you." But the show. The show is not just like you're on 
Dr. Phil and right. they have to make a decision right now. The show is you now have to live with someone else for three weeks. You have to pretend. <laughs> so we're going. We're going Logically. to get. We're going to get these five couples together, and then have them pair off. It's it, like, like a we're going to have them wife swap. What? Uh, according to according to yeah, their particular obviously. interests, like and and who they choose, and then they're going to live together for three weeks, and we're going to film them at night, and like maybe we'll catch them jerking each other off or something like that, and then they <laughs> were going to probably not. And then we're going to people are dating people. Wait, okay. Other than so, there's an additional layer there. So they're this is not just limited to the couple as a, as you come in. They no, swap that would be you. Boring. Okay. They swap you, yeah. and then and then they reintroduce them to each other at various points throughout the three week so called trial marriage, and feed them a bunch of alcohol and see how awful they can be to and about each other. And then after that three week period, they pair them back up and force these people, the original couples, to live together for three weeks while they film them. Like it's just it's just awful, and it, it it's a toss up. As to whether I get done watching that show and feel worse about humans, or I get done watching like uh, a thousand dead people in the streets of Buka and feel worse about humans, like it, like legitimately, I'm yeah, not sure like, what, what makes, makes me feel, feel worse about, about humans. Yourself. I don't feel better about myself. Oh my god, I'm I so feel, glad I'm none of those people. I know, but so I do this thing where I just feel worse about myself for having watched it because I'm like I already exist on on a obnoxious like elitist plane of of being glad that I'm not anyone else on the fucking planet. <laughs> like, my birthday present is making you watch this show and like laughing at the like talking shit about the people with you. It's my favorite activity. Yeah, I certainly there's no shortage of me talking shit about the people, but yeah, that but doesn't make me feel better about anything people either. People writing articles in the stupid New York Times. These are people. At least who that are person is conceivably my peer. The what? person writing in the pages of the New York Times, conceivably in some way, at least in my own deluded head, yeah, is a, that's the problem. Is a peer of mine <laughs> that I can peer. interact with in some way. But these people are not. These people are. They're fucking, babies. they're feral animals. They're little babies. They're, they're, and they need to get married. Oh, it's also very, like, grim fairy tales. Like, it's the option to not marry anyone does not seem on the table. Oh. Everybody's getting married. <laughs> it's a matter of who. Okay. It's great. And it's packaged by these these evil Lachey's so by Nick Lachey as like as as though they're doing some sort of social good as though they're doing like oh isn't this romantic we're just trying to help you people grow it's like, it's like that no, movie you've... Saw it's like the Saw series okay. where like there's this mastermind in charge and it's Nick Lachey. Is he doing a lot of the heavy lifting? His wife is not as uh, evil, or are they both? They're evil? barely oh, they're there. Both. They show up for like forty seconds an episode, just to like maniacally just, like, stare at everyone and go, yeah. "Oh, you have feelings." <laughs> yeah. Why don't you talk more about what an awful fucking narcissistic piece of shit you are in front of the cameras for the next five minutes? Please go ahead. Sounds anyway. like a fun show. It's so great. I'll be don't, sure to watch it this weekend. You know oh I'm going to watch it, Bob. You don't I mean, have to watch it. Oh. I'm going to carve out some if time. You want, I can send you, like, I mean, Instagram I'm watching profiles. Sonic 2. Like, who am I to say anything? Like, <laughs> I can watch a few episodes of this. Yeah, I like how you started that by saying, it's going to be a busy month. There's a lot of stuff to go see. It's like <laughs> Sonic 2. <laughs> And, and there's um, Ambulance. Fathers 2, Marky Mark, another Marky Mark I'm watching. 
And hopefully this everything, everywhere, sex dungeon thing is good because there's not a lot of other good <laughs> this It's this a weird month. time for this kind of – seem, it's like it's an Oscar-baity kind of movie potentially and it's coming out now. I don't get the it. Father, I, if they dump it in April, it probably sucks. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not oh, talking the other about one. Marky yeah. Mark. I'm talking about the, <laughs> he the said metaphysical it, it's one. His most important work, so maybe that's also good. Oh, good. <laughs> My most important work since I fucking beat up that Asian kid on the uh, side of the side. That wasn't a movie role. That was really. <laughs> anyway, uh, you got uh, you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then, and we will talk to you next time. Later. <laughs> iron brains it is a total piece of shit and it is full of some of the most abhorrent people i can imagine getting together in one place and and sticking in a room together and then turning the cameras on like they're just irredeemable sociopathic narcissistic pieces of shit cast iron brains complain about the disastrous administration and lack of organization of the of the t-ball league or the the little league that we're in right because this this is being run by incompetence and idiots uh sounds like dominoes or i could like do a hostile takeover and ah. and and become commissioner of this fucking league or at least like insert myself into you the do administrative that. bureaucracy i think i'm gonna stick with just complain okay uh, <laughs> Because that's what he said for a couple years at Domino's and Papa John's, both. Yeah. But like, I asked this turn woman this into a million dollar organization. Five, five, what amounts to yes or no questions in an email, right? Not a long email, just a basic bullet point, five yes no style right. answers. And she managed to answer in a follow up email that was like, Seven long paragraphs where there's no coherent reason for why the paragraph breaks exist, okay. and there's no internal formatting in any of the original paragraphs fun, fun. anyway. Like, just the worst thing to try to read. Out of those seven paragraphs, she answered three of the five questions and only one of them definitively. <laughs> so, so I, it's like, like, literally, the question was... Is the game an hour 15 long or is the game an hour 45 long and when do we cut it off? And her response was to say, at an hour 25, it's like, an hour 25? Well, yeah. you've, you've so far given me an hour 15 and an hour 45 as possible endpoints here and now you're introducing an hour 25 into the conversation? Right. You're disallowed. You're, you're, you're fired from your volunteer at, position. At, at work... If I ask you a bunch of questions by email and you respond that way, you're getting a call. And I don't like to bother people with phone calls, but, like, if you can't answer the <laughs> questions in the way that I want, like, through email, I don't want to talk to you either, but I need to know the answer to these questions. So I'm going to bother you by calling you. Like, what the fuck? What were those words you just typed? <laughs>